So you may have noticed in the past few podcast episodes of the Bike Shop Boyfriend podcast in that pretty much you'll hear me talking and there would have been uh, a little bit of a background noise uh, musical type element to it Um, due to me recording most of these episodes via my phone in fact exclusively on my iphone um for whatever reason the current uh version upgrade of anchor.fm's app isn't allowing me to put in the sort of musical highlight i would call it and spit and polish onto these episodes um I'm currently trying to figure out how to go about figuring that out and uh, making it work. It could just be a technical glitch. It could be coming up in a future uh, upgraded, um, improved version of Anchor.fm, the app, which despite that, it's still a magnificent app and I love recording onto this. Um, So that being said, that's just my little editor's note here of the quality of what you're listening to. also, if you hear some slight white noise behind me, it is uh, just currently my in-window air conditioning doing its thing, keeping me cool. It is uh, being in a third-floor walk-up apartment. I get everyone's heat from below me, so it's uh, often a little warmer in my apartment than it should be otherwise. Um, but that's neither here nor there. And secondly, if you hear a squirrel that is just chattering in the background, I have no control on that. Um, that little sucker is evil. He wakes me up at around 5 a.m. most days. And uh, yeah, he has to tell me all about his dreams, apparently. So that being said, on with the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 38 of the Bike Shop Boyfriend podcast. I'm your host, Dustin. In this episode, it's going to be a short, sweet Q&A. And what else do I got written here? And some other fun stuff. Here we go. All right, everyone. Welcome to episode 38. This is going to be, I'm aiming to have it a little bit fast, furious, and short and sweet to the point type podcast today. Um, Reason being is I'm a little bit behind on my podcast making just due to a bit of life getting into the way here. I've pretty much been working solid blocks of uh, both jobs and it's just been proving a little bit difficult to find some time to get the the things I wanted to get recorded done, but also uh, line up my podcast guests. That's coming very shortly, by the way. I'm actually very excited for a few of them. One, I'm excited, but for one of them, uh, just to quickly explain, I am a little bit sad to say uh, we are uh, losing one of our uh, long-timers, old-timers of uh, the bike shop, and I'm hoping to get him on the podcast. Um, So before he leaves... I want to get him to share some stories because he's a great storyteller and I think you would all enjoy it. Um, So that's coming soon. But uh, in the meantime, I've been trying to ride my bike as much as possible. I've got about five weeks away from the event that I've been sort of planning as um, my big event for uh, the summer months. Sadly, it's not another gravel event. Uh, I'm actually kind of still... Uh, a little bit despondent about that, but 
it's going to be on the road bike and it's me going again for the ms bike uh tour uh it's a great cause wonderful organization they do a great job uh making sure to take care of all the participants and the volunteers are great the turnout uh roadside was amazing last year so i'm doing that but i'm training up for it just to do better than what i did the previous year having not done it so i'm just wanting to self-improve really i think is what i'm trying to say and uh yeah it's going to be one of those things that i'm working towards that goal but then i've got all my other work commitments as well still going down so uh that being said that's the reason why i haven't gotten to any of this uh recording anytime sooner it's been almost a month and i feel really bad about that but we're back in the flow um there's some exciting new technical stuff coming up uh one is uh i've got a voice recorder that i'm sort of gonna be pulling the trigger on in terms of picking up just to improve the quality of the podcast secondly is i'm upgrading my uh audio editing equipment to also improve the quality of the podcast as well as my photography it's a new laptop that's pretty much what i'm gonna hallmark that to and uh yeah, I'm also looking at uh, smart lav mics uh, that are pretty much lapel based, and that's what you see television reporters do. I'm hoping to actually hook myself up for audio recording while I'm riding, so that way it gives you a good flavor of what it sounds like uh, on the rides, um, also of what's being discussed. Uh, it, I really want to give that first person perspective of uh, what the recording sounds like and it's all going to hopefully be testing towards the following season's gravel grinds that are going to be taking up a good majority of my riding um, that I'm really excited about but um, yeah it's all sort of in preparation for that so stay tuned that's what's coming up all to be seen uh, in terms of quality and quantity uh, on the bike shop boyfriend podcast that being said, let's get to some Q&A. Here we go. First up is going to be, why should we have group rides? Um, so I've actually had to think about long and hard about this one. Um, one, it actually creates a certain amount of community to connect with uh, as a rider. It allows you, as I, as an adult, the har- older you get, the harder it is to become, or, or to even to make friends at a certain age. As a kid, you're more of a sociable uh, sponge to a large extent. You're able to make friends, able to make new friends pretty much on the fly. Um, I'm just actually recalling back in my younger years, it was not even considered uh, a skill or something that you were hampered with. It was just automatic, felt very intuitive and natural. Well, as an adult, it does get a little bit more difficult and it becomes more of a barrier. So with that being said, it's able to, uh, as a rider, it's being a rider is very much a solo type pursuit your efforts are your own and this and that but at least with a group ride it gives you an opportunity in a time and a space and a location to actually connect with other folks who are probably just riding solo unto themselves it gives you a chance to actually meet up with them um, spend a little bit of time outside of your normal 
routine, get to know other folks, um, have a conversation with people. And it actually allows you to somewhat unplug from uh, the day's hustle and grind and all that good stuff. But as a bike shop, it actually is a great way to increase your uh, community connectivity, I would even call it. Um, So that way you can one, uh, put the sh- your shop more out there in terms of marketing, eyeballs, uh, social outreach. It doesn't actually have to be transactional in the least in that um, you're not trying to sell anyone anything really. You're just trying to give people the opportunity to connect uh, with other folks. So if you're sort of that middle ground uh, icebreaker type situation or mediator, I would even call it, all the more power to you for being that bike shop that does that. Uh, that's the reason why our bike shop does it. We have currently two rides uh, that we're offering uh, twice a week. One is the uh, Tuesday night ride, and that's the one I'm one of the road ride leaders for. So that's more of a road ride. Uh, we split that road ride itself into four different groups. There's a really fast group. There's a uh, B group, as we call it. So they're not as fast as A group. And then C is very social set up right use it as a recovery ride it's more of an active recovery ride to be honest um in that you're able to have a conversation you're able to get some spin in and all that and then we have a d group and those are our tail gunners uh they make sure that everyone is sort of swept off the road so that way out of safety mechanical know-how and this and that um we got someone there responsible to sort of as the safety net to catch everyone um And our rides are very much set up as a no-drop situation. So that's uh, one of the benefits of having all these groups. So say you're in uh, A group or B group, you blow up and it allows you to have uh, a B group or a C group come by and actually pick you up. So that way your efforts are maintained therein. Um, So those are the benefits of uh, a road ride version. Uh, And then on Wednesdays, we actually have our mountain bike group they actually do um, a no-drop situation as well. And we're looking to actually have some fast guys uh, implemented into the ride. So that way it just uh, increases the speed. It increases uh, maybe the potential fun. Those that actually have some technical skills can actually keep sharpening them up and having more fun with them. Um, And sometimes you want to get that slight performance boost of riding fast and technical and the only way to do that is to ride with faster and more technical riders uh you sort of learn by um just trying to keep up so that's one of the things that our shop is actually looking forward to doing one thing that is coming up uh for the early fall slash late summer month of august is uh we're going to be implementing a um gravel ride of some sort uh gravel slash cyclocross ride in that we're transferring our road group into a gravel group uh, slash cyclocross group in a sort of beta test to try out before next season. We are looking at doing uh, a dedicated night where we would have three nights a week of uh, there's some kind of social ride going on. One would be a gravel drop bar type uh, off mixed terrain ride kind of thing i don't really know how we're structuring that just yet but it's still going to be a no drop but due to uh the amount of folks that might be turning onto it we got to sort of figure out that organization that's just 
logistical detail. Sorry to bring you into the minutia of it. Uh, second would still be our Tuesday night ride that I might be scaling back my participation with. Um, I think it's time to pass the baton on to uh, another one of our staff or interested rider to uh, take the lead on that. And three is uh, to have our off-road group to bring in some new blood just to uh, make it more organized, maybe get some more photos because social media being a big thing, we want to get more folks out on the ride and just showcase, you know, what folks who buy the bikes that we sell to be some to some degree looks like riding in our locations that we have here um some people just need visual aids to do that so uh that being said um yeah it also group rides create a casual space actually for the shop to connect with their customer base uh as one of the road ride leaders i'm able to cuss just a little bit uh sort of let my hair down even though it is buzz short um but actually connect with uh, different customers. They have often questions about, can I bring my bike in for certain maintenance, this and that. And so it allows me to just informally have a connection with them. Um, But also I get a chance to take some great photos of these folks too. Um, And also sharing it as from a bike shop perspective gives you that free content uh, for your social media. So that's actually a huge plus all around for your brand as a bike shop so that being said um people like getting their photos taken to a large extent and seeing it up on social media and getting folks to like it and this and that it feels like there's a slight amount of importance and all that so um yeah it's just a good business strategy and it's free content as long as you you know the riders are pretty cool about you taking uh their photo and if they want you to take it down you just have to be cool with taking it down but also uh just being very respectful of how you take a photo so you know try not to get them uh while they're maybe changing into uh their kit or uh maybe taking a big bite of food because uh, no one likes to be photographed while eating uh just something to keep in mind um and especially nature breaks, like that's just an off limits one right there. Please don't do that. That's just, you know, common sense right there. Um, but also it gives the bike shops uh, an opportunity to actually showcase some of the um, equipment and uh, components as well as new product that is coming out to possibly benefit the rider who would be on these rides so in our case uh one thing that we did was uh we have ambassadors for showcasing um certain product in the way of say bib shorts um the bib shorts are actually uh in this case provided by perlozumi that's not a free plug but it is just to give context um myself i and rudy are both uh, Perlozumi ambassadors, shop ambassadors for uh, these rides, and we try and wear the bib shorts as much as we can. However, myself, I've been wearing them uh, mostly when I'm on the trainer just to get more of a dedicated fit. Uh, I do have caveats with the product in that, to my liking, my personal liking, this is my opinion, um, the leg cut is not long enough for someone like myself who has very long femurs for vis-a-vis their height um 
and I did find that, uh, but otherwise I find like the compression really nice. I find the, uh, strap, the bib strap length, uh, very good. And the chamois quality is actually not that bad. I give it about a B, B plus in terms of chamois quality. Um, so it's a great valued, um, bib short. I wouldn't necessarily want to race or ride all day in them, uh, because I've got other ones that are a bit more comfortable for that. That's where I really enjoy luxury bib shorts. Yes, I'm okay with spending like $250 to $300 on bib shorts if it means me being comfortable all day. Uh, the rate of wear is totally worth it. Um, but in that case, it's able for me to say to uh, the casual rider who's still wearing bicycle shorts with non, it's the non-bib short version, they're able to maybe get my opinion, my recommendation, and I can steer them towards a few different products uh, to benefit them and their riding. Um, yeah, that's transactional, but that being said, it's really just advice. It's up to the customer to pull the trigger on that option. I think that pretty much uh, gives a massive cloud of information of uh, what I think about group rides. Next question. Second question is, uh, how soon should you bring in uh, your bike uh, for your race event that you have coming up? Um, this is a great question, actually, because one is uh, the sooner the better. Don't wait until the last minute to bring in your bike uh, for your race event uh, slash event. I should be saying this uh, in that particular format. Um if your bike needs maintenance, you should get it done the week before at the latest, if that all makes sense. Um, reason being is that if your bike needs parts, it actually gives uh, the mechanics in t time to install everything, make sure it's running correctly. Uh, say it's like a derailleur clutch mechanism, derailleur shifters even, brake cables, uh, if you got disc brakes or if you got cable brakes, it gives a chance for the mechanics to actually do a proper job, not being rushed give it the time it needs and also dial it in to uh, possible specifications. And that's just also very good. Um, you're taking into consideration that you're not rushing someone to finish a job and expect it to be done perfectly. Um, they should be doing it perfectly, first of all. That's neither here nor there. But it just gives, you want someone to take the time to actually make sure and go through it uh, your bike with a fine tooth comb before you take it on the race. It just takes that variable of uncertainty out of your race day or event day. Um, I highly recommend it. Coming in a day before or the morning of your event is just going to add stress to you and your race day. Um, and it might even take you out of your event that you've been training for. So that being said, bring it in a week before the guys and gals at your bike shop are hopefully going to be able to uh, get you in. A lot of bike shops work on the first in, uh, first come, first serve sort of basis. So if you come in, a rush service is very rare in a lot of bike shops. And if they do offer it, be prepared to bring them some snacks, uh, some beers if they're into drinking alcohol. Um, most shops are, but not all. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things that you're also being very considerate of your local bike shop. It is a community-based uh, business, so yeah, they're in the. They might be charging you a premium also for this rush service. So getting any kind of work done done before your race, about a week ahead, is probably a good practice to do. Um, 
Whether your bike needs it or not is totally up to you, but if you are feeling like uh, to have that certainty of your bike running correctly, it's not a bad thing to do. Additionally, uh, after your race event, it's not a bad idea to get your bike checked out by your local bike shop. Um, just for mechanical reasons, whether they you got a series of every weekend is going to be a race event, um, a lot of bike shops will do a free quotation, so that way they can do uh, give you a good assessment if your bike is still running fine, um, if your bike does need work, uh, what the timetable is, and this and that. So it just helps you be a little bit more professional with your actual uh, bike, as well as your race needs and event requirements. Um, but yeah, that being said, um, it gives you a little bit of extra leeway to make those adjustments after you get your bike back. Um, say it's new tires you want to actually ride on those tires just a little bit practice maybe some openers uh, before your event so that way you are not riding on something that you are unsure of uh, say it's uh, tubulars uh, if you are getting tubulars done uh, say on your cross bike because cross season's coming it's one of those good things to potentially ride on those cross tires uh, to make sure that glue is set and all that good stuff um, bringing in tubulars a day or two before you need them is a horrible idea. It doesn't give any time really for the glue to uh, cure up a little bit, so that way it's holding onto your tub as maximum as possible, uh, and it would actually prevent any kind of roll-off of the tub off the wheel. Um, I've seen this so many times actually in the bike shop that it uh, kind of drives me nuts in that people think that it's a very fast process. Tubs are actually, I would give them almost two weeks to do um, just because you want that glue to set as best as possible. And in a lot of cases, um, you want almost a week's leeway just to ride on it just to see how your bike is going to handle because it will dramatically change how you handle your bike. Um, you're going to notice how grippy uh, a tread can be based on that low pressure. So that's just something to keep in mind. Um, also, if they're setting your wheel set up for tubeless, uh, depending on your event, um, I'm thinking more mountain bike as well as cyclocross. Those are coming up pretty big. Um, it gives the service department way more time to do that. And additionally, it gives the sales department uh, a chance to actually order in the product and get it in so that way you can enjoy your bike uh, with your new performance component there. Um, Hopefully that answers it. If you got any uh, sort of caveats or anything like that, do reach out to me here on Anchor.fm, as well as you can reach out on Twitter. Uh, Dustin WHT is my Twitter handle, as well as my Instagram handle. Please uh, shoot me a question if you got anything that you would like to add to that question. Um, the new features on Anchor allow me to actually go back re-edit some of uh, my responses, maybe even add to it. So if you want to add uh, your voice into it, love to hear from you. Uh, but on to the next question. Let's do it. So this sort of ties into the previous uh, question and answer there. Um, should you need a rush response kind of thing? The service, the, the bike shop's might actually charge you for that which is totally fair and it's their prerogative to do so if they don't charge you for it this is actually maybe a great tip and trick uh to actually get that rush service done um is to find out what your shop your local bike shop's favorite snacks are um for the service guys uh 
if it's the actual guys wrenching onto it, if they do enjoy alcohol, uh, beers and this and that, most often they do. But if they don't, please ask them. Um, just don't assume that they drink is never a good uh, form of tact. But the fact that you ask what they enjoy, um, if they say beer, um, maybe find out what kind of beer they like. Uh, that's one of the universal currencies in a bike shop. Next one is actually going to be uh, in our bike shop. One of our favorite things is actually uh, French fries. And we've nicknamed them bench fries based on the fact that they're often on a service bench. Uh, it's a big bag of French fries that we have uh, from a local burger joint. They are seasoned to perfection with salt and pepper. Uh, it's almost one of these weird skills that we train new staff to learn uh, of how to make bench fries. It's a weird bike shop kitchen thing that I'm putting in hashtags here, or even air quotes. Um, bench fries are kind of this weird universal standard that we really enjoy snacking on, um, especially in the winter months because it's a it's carbohydrates, it's a little bit of fat, salty, it's peppery, it's super good. We're kind of all into it. Um, the sales staff actually recently, for the summertime, have really been enjoying uh, Mexican soda pop versions of Coca-Cola, uh, Fanta, 7-Up, and all that. Reason for the Mexican aspect to it, not uh, North American stuff, is that in Mexico, they're using a different kind of cane sugar. They're not using uh, corn fructose uh, to flavor anything. Um, also, weirdly enough, we're huge fans of uh, flavored bubbly waters. So Perrier has like a uh, peach as well as lemon lime and orange flavor, I believe. Um, us as sales staff, we're really into it, uh, mostly for the fact that it doesn't really create much of an aftertaste. But it's bubbly. It sort of keeps us hydrated because we're often having to talk a heck of a lot during a day. Um, so that's just something also that we really enjoy. Another thing that uh, we're very particular about what we enjoy is uh, cookies. We actually enjoy cookies. There's a few staff that have gluten allergies, so they're not able to partake in it. But chocolate chip cookies or just chocolate-based cookies, so like double fudge chocolate, whatever, uh, we're really big fans of. We aren't into things with raisins. Heads up. That's not a cookie. That's an abomination. Uh, I very much side with Phil Guyman on this one. Um, raisins have no place in cookies. Um, they have places in, say, maybe butter tarts, but even then you're taking your chances. Um, yeah, raisins are horrible. Um, additionally, candy. We love candy. I don't know if we're all susceptible to being uh, or becoming type 2 diabetics. Um not that we're making light of it, but we, not that we consume that much candy either, by the way, we don't get much candy, but we enjoy also just candy. We love sour soothers. We love cola bottles. We love fuzzy peaches. Um, those are all very much shop favorites. And the weird sort of dark horse one that we all thoroughly enjoy is pizza um, and Vietnamese food, not together, but that would be delicious too. Um, we love pizzas. However, Pizza, I feel, is almost like political uh, thoughts in terms of, or political opinions. It divides better than it is, uh, unifies people. Everyone has a, their view of what is constitutes a good pizza and where from. Vietnamese food is actually, um, here locally in Winnipeg, we have more of a, uh, we have a great Vietnamese food scene. 
and some of that food is able to be delivered. Uh, myself, I'm a huge fan and proponent of uh, charboiled beef spring rolls. I get it often a double order and I stuff my face full of them and I am as content as can be when I get a chance to do that. Um, so yeah, those are pretty much the shop favorites for snacks. So, uh, But when in doubt, ask your uh, local bike shop what they're really into. Um, they'll probably be pretty straightforward and tell you what they really enjoy eating. Um, do keep that in mind if you want to get on your bike shop's good side and sort of uh, promote that rush service. Uh, should you need it, uh, do consider picking up also like a 12 pack of beer or something like that to show your appreciation. Um, but it also shows that you care about uh, getting good service. So sometimes you have to grease the wheels a little bit. So that being said, that's what we like for snacks. So I would have to call this either the second or even the last part of this podcast episode is what's new in bikes. And uh, being the Tour de France, there's often a lot of tech being revealed. I've been just uh, thoroughly enjoying the uh, the tech side of things that is being released. One, it's just new stuff. I kind of really enjoy seeing the innovation possibly uh, of what engineers and bike brands are coming out with uh, during the Tour de France for the guys at the very elite top that they're using. Um, one bike that really caught my eye is uh, the Trek Madone SLR. Super well done. This is actually the version of the bike that should have been released when they made the Trek Madones um, more their aero bike. Uh, that was maybe three, three, four years ago now. Um, this is the bike that it should have become, if that makes sense. Uh, it's maybe taken that long to have them figure it out, but I'm really happy that they did. Uh, one is the adjustability on the handlebars. Um, it's no longer uh, a dedicated one-piece uh, handlebar system. It actually, for bike adjustment for the rider, it actually makes it more user-friendly. Um, and it also makes it more, for a bike fitter standpoint, makes it really easy to adjust uh, for comfort. Secondly, they also changed out the uh, geometry of the bike. It's something in between the really aggressive uh, saddle-to-drop ratio version and also the more endurance. Uh, handlebars are almost even with the seat post type uh, position. It's actually somewhere in between. So it can still be very aggressive, but can also be very comfortable at the same time. I think that's actually very key for uh, designing a bike is that you have those options to make a bike very comfortable, but also at the same time, make it very aggressive in terms of its positioning uh, for the rider on the bike. Um, that being said, Specialized have released Avenge. Uh, my full caveat is I don't, uh, at the bike shop sell any specialized product so this is me just hearsay and conjecture and seeing what i see um they like trek also have kind of made the bike uh the specialized venge anyway um this is the version that i foresaw it becoming um them adding uh rim brakes to it was i think a big no-no they should have just really just dedicated themselves to uh, a disc brake version and also the shaping of uh, the tubing and also the positioning of the uh, seat stays 
in the geometry of the bike look like it's a way more comfortable ride than reportedly it has been in the future. Um, so kudos to them and their marketing team for really selling the bike. They're doing a great job on social media. I see it everywhere. Um, more so than other bike releases that have happened recently. Um, so they're doing a tremendous job doing that. The Giant TCR, I had the fortune of uh, seeing some of the 2019 colorways and also feature sets. Um, I'm still somewhat on the fence about the upgraded version potential of my existing bike, which is a 2016 uh, Giant TCR Advanced Pro 1. Um, the Pro 1 disc version, uh, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about. I'm just kind of on the fence. Um, I do want to see actually what the front brake is doing uh, in terms of if it's uh, being internally routed. Uh, I'm really hoping that they clean up the cabling of the bike. That's one of my big things about f bikes coming up in the future. Um, I'm getting a lot of folks saying, well, how about maintenance? Well, if you are getting a disc brake bike and it's hydraulic, um, the initial setup is really going to be done by the mechanic at your local bike shop. And that's really onto them to uh, make sure it's set up correctly. However, um, you having to do like roadside maintenance on a disc brake bleed system is, well, you're just not going to do it. Um, especially you're not going to carry a hydraulic bleed system with you. Uh, you're not going to invert your bike upside down to try and bleed out a line. Um, all that's for sure not happening on your local ride. Um, so that being said, uh, customer complaints about like service and mechanicing or uh, wrenching on their bike. When it comes to the disc brakes, if you open it up, that's on you. You screwed it up kind of thing. Um, so once often folks set it up, it should be pretty good to go. Uh, but even bleeding out the line to some degree, uh, because the housing itself is going to be cut to a certain length and this and that, um, that's all going to be taken care of in the initial setup. It's almost up there with uh, folks complaining about uh, electronic shifting. Um, once the internal harness has been set up inside uh, a bike, it's often rarely looked at ever again. Uh, until you want to maybe upgrade the battery if there's a battery upgrade to be done, etc, etc. But that being said, um, I do expect a slight redesign for uh, the Giant TCR in 2020. Um, and my gut feeling is that if you look at the current Canyon Ultimate bikes, um, I think that's sort of where you're going to see a lot of the design uh, influence come from in terms of a super clean front end. Uh, quick release skewers uh just making stiff wheels and this and that i'm a huge giant tcr fanboy don't get me wrong i love the bike but if they are just doing a zip tie front fork um that's just very disappointing to be honest um i expect better to be honest from giant um another thing that came up was that had actually a lot of tongues wagging was uh ceramic speeds new crankshaft drivetrain um Despite the divisions of what this is, uh, it's a chain-less uh, drivetrain system, so your standard group set doesn't look the same. Uh, instead, it's a huge pie plate of gears and teeth that is perfectly flat, to be honest, uh, with a drivetrain with uh, bearings on either end. And also, instead of the uh, crank set having uh, the crank teeth or the chain ring teeth uh, pointed up, 
and they're pointed in towards the bike to actually interface with the uh, drivetrain. Now, I love the uh, prototype uh, proof of concept that they showed onto it. I myself am a huge fan of this whole idea. Um, one, I think it can actually really push uh, the innovation of bike design further, um, but also it sort of uh, displaces a little bit of uh, existing component manufacturers' standardization of a product. Um, innovation doesn't really help uh, move the industry forward if it's still the same big three uh, working on what's next for innovation because they themselves cannot agree on a standard to a large extent so maybe someone else outside of the on the periphery of the big three uh innovating in terms of a crank uh crankshaft drivetrain system is what's needed to actually move uh the thinking forward in terms of what you can get out of performance and if it makes it shifting a lot easier um frictionless in terms of uh reliability those are all things that I'd be very much a huge proponent of. Uh, snapping a chain would be non-existent. Snapping a drive, uh, sorry, a crankshaft drivetrain. Now that's something uh, a little bit bigger than dropping a chain or anything like that. So um, I'm just very curious as to see how, uh, pretty much how variable terrain would affect um, the shifting of uh, of this type of model of. Uh, how it's going to propel you forward kind of thing. Uh, right now, uh, a lot of derailers have a clutch mechanism built into it just to create a, a tighter chain tension to propel you forward. Now, I don't know how the vibrations of this uh, sort of fixed drivetrain is going to affect um, the handling of a bike. I'm thinking like Paris-Roubaix or even cyclocross or gravel grinds. Will this sort of uh, drivetrain be feasible or even practical? I'm hoping so. Um, who knows? But uh, it would also clean up uh, the potential for uh, electronic shifting there in this particular format. Uh, you don't maybe have to have um, two maybe servos uh, shifting your drivetrain. It's actually maybe going to just be one. Um, also, too, you can hide maybe a power meter inside the actual crankshaft because that's actually going to dictate how fast and how much power you're putting out um, when you are shifting also uh, from the readout is the fact that if uh, they move it from like an 11 speed to a 12 speed to a 13 speed to a 14 speed um, all those increments of future proofing your potential bike and wheel set is not going to be that expensive because all you would have to do is really just uh, maybe change the interface of how far your uh, drivetrain is interfacing with it. So the crank arm spindle that's moving uh, across like a typewriter almost. Um, but also the uh, amount of teeth on that cog pie plate uh, is really what's going to get changed out. So if that's the only thing that needs to be changed out, that's not terribly expensive vis-a-vis -vis switching out an entire group set just so that you can actually make it work. So I think future-proofing bikes would actually be uh, a huge selling feature of that. Um, but also it would change how uh, wheels are designed. It's going to affect um, the dish of a wheel, maybe even how it integrates into a bike. Maybe everything's going to be just single-sided, so that way uh, a wheel change would actually be... I'm very curious how wheel changes are going to be uh, affected, first of all, um, through axles, 
uh, are going to get beefed up a little bit. Uh, we're getting closer and closer to Tron bikes, and that for me is exciting. I don't know why. I'm really a fan of those bikes. I'm just a nerd that way. Um, but yeah, I would like to hear your thoughts of any kind of cool tech that you have seen in the Tour de France. Um, love to hear from you. Please hit me up here on anchor.fm. Um, if you got any kind of bones to pick with me, please pick them. Uh, never not going to answer to them. I love the conversation of a back and forth. So that being said, uh, I think that's going to conclude this particular segment of the Bike Shop Boyfriend podcast. Hey, podcast listeners, thank you very much for listening to the Bike Shop Boyfriend podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave a rating wherever you are enjoying this podcast. If it's on iTunes, it would be the world to me if you could leave me a rating, as well as on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you are listening to this podcast. I highly appreciate it, and stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you very much. Oh, my God.